From Philadelphia Young Playwrights, this is Mouthful. I'm Trinae Nuri. Every week, we'll be having a complicated conversation with a young person about the things that matter to them, things that they have written about and shared on stages across the city. And then we'll go out into the community and talk to teens, adults, experts, anyone who can broaden the conversation. This week, we explore the complicated conversation of identity. What makes an American? For most of us, our families came to this country from somewhere else, generations ago or more recently, by choice or not. Some people in this country can trace their lineage to another place, to many other places, to other times, other cultures, other languages. What defines us? Is it our traditions, our community, or is it the language that we speak? For the children of immigrants, the answers to these questions aren't simple. Which traditions, which community, which language? I can understand what they're saying. The problem is communicating back. There's a language barrier. I mean, like, I can understand. I just can't communicate my own, like, feelings or responses. That's Donna Zhang. When she was a sophomore in high school, Donna wrote a monologue entitled A Last Stroll Through Pain. Probably at the time I was um, pretty frustrated in the situation I was trying to learn a language that I'm supposed to know but don't know. Donna's parents immigrated from China to the States before she was born. Life in the States is all that she knows, and she never became fluent in Chinese. Yet, people often assume she can speak the language, especially when she's in a place like Chinatown. It's a frustrating misunderstanding that was common in her life growing up, and it served as the inspiration for her monologue and for this episode of Mouthful. Let's listen to A Last Stroll Through Pain, performed by Stephanie Walters. Um, look, I'm sorry, but I can't speak Chinese. This happens to me all the time. As I walk through Chinatown, it's amazing how many times I've been asked, Sweetie, you do speak Chinese, don't you? In a language I barely understand. I stare at them blankly, and not wanting to speak my pitiful, broken Chinese, I nod my head, which tells them, obviously, I can't keep a decent conversation. Walking away, they usually murmur something under their breath. I don't normally hear what they say about me, but I'm sure it's nothing I'd be happy to hear. Quite frankly, I'm sick of it. Most of my life I've spent loitering these streets, and now I'd rather not be here anymore. (sighs) I don't even know why I bought this, when I can't even read a complete sentence out of this newspaper. Maybe I'm waiting for someone to strike me down and magically zap fluent Chinese onto my tongue. No, not really going to happen. Why can't you speak Chinese? That isn't right. You are Chinese. You need to learn your own language. How do you even speak to your parents at home? I keep my mouth shut. There isn't much to say, is there? I'm not going to stand here and tell you that it was my parents' fault that I'm a mute child whenever I speak Chinese because it wasn't their fault. They are hard workers who wanted to find a better life in America. 
But they still believe that when my siblings and I all grow old enough, we'll be able to go back to China and converse with all the natives while finding high-paying jobs. This probably isn't happening. I came into this world straight-up American, no green card whatsoever. I was born with an American passport in hand. Unfortunately, though, that's not what other people see when they first put their eyes on me. All they see is a person with these eyes and this skin looking just like them. I'm leaving this place. Yes, Chinatown. I never liked you much to begin with. I've got better places to go, so I don't think I'll be coming back soon. I'm traveling places where I won't be questioned about my identity. These people have gotten me to contemplate many aspects of myself, but at the same time, they keep picking at my wounds, and they're tired of bleeding. Please, leave me to live my life. I know, I have no heritage, and I am just a mixed pot of nothings, which upsets me. But I will try harder to find my heritage, my Chinese heritage, that I never had a chance to take back. As for now, I just want to live my life and stop being chained to my own guilt. I'm majoring in English literature, anyways. <laughs> I may not look the part, but I am. And you? Well, you people were just the creatures in my closet holding me back. So college, here I come. In Chinatown? I'll see you soon. For some first-generation Americans like Donna, switching between the cultural identities they're born with and the identities they create for themselves can be frustrating, difficult, and isolating at times. I was born in the U.S. It wasn't necessary for me to have learned Chinese because I wasn't from China. I was trying to relearn Chinese as an Asian American. So it was very weird being Asian, but also not actually being Asian. And so I was working off of that. When I was younger, my parents actually put me through Chinese school and it was based close to Chinatown. So I would walk through Chinatown after Chinese school. I live with my parents still, and so communicating with them is always a struggle. At home, Donna's parents speak Mandarin Chinese and a dialect of Chinese called Fujianese. My dad has learned English for um, reasons like finding a job, so his English is slightly better than my mom's. But my mom, whenever we communicate and, like, I get frustrated, she always says something like, you have to, like, talk to me so that I can learn. So there's always this back and forth. I get frustrated, but I know that she only means well, and she's just trying to understand, and I'm just trying to understand her, that kind of thing. And it's usually something that either gets left, like, we end it at, I'm frustrated and I can't communicate, or I'll say it in English, which probably doesn't help either. And so it's a back and forth, but, you know, that's life, I guess. Growing up, Donna also had to navigate her parents' expectations with her American experience. One of the weird things is, like, my mom doesn't want me to, like, sleep over at other people's places because it feels like, you know, you're overburdening somebody or something like that. Or, like, the type of, like, career paths that you should 
like you should pursue as someone who should as someone who should be successful kind of thing. Don is now a senior at Drexel University. She's studying civil engineering and has future plans to work as a highway design specialist. After I graduated from high school, I stopped taking like Mandarin courses. I spent a lot of that time uh, not dwelling on the fact that, you know, my identity wasn't primarily just like what like I was born as. I, you know, reached out and joined different clubs and found other ways to, you know, identify myself. But it helps that I didn't have to, you know, feel like or expose myself to uh, the need to like, oh, I really should learn my like language or Chinese so that I could, you know, be Chinese. It's not as much of a, a soft spot for me anymore, just because, like I said, it's not so much about trying to regain my Chinese heritage or being Chinese. Now it's just trying to be me and like what, like the kind of person I want to be. After our conversation with Donna, Mouthful producers Maya Penn and Mitchell Bloom talk with three young women about their multicultural identities. So uh, we're just going to start by all introducing ourselves. I'm Nikita Richardson. I go to SUNY ESF and I'm majoring in landscape architecture and minoring in disability studies. Um, my name's Rebecca Chen. I'm a senior at Masterman. I'll be attending the University of Pittsburgh in the fall, majoring in marketing. And I'm Faith Omaradlo. I go to the University of Pennsylvania and majoring in cognitive science and minoring in fine arts. So yeah, so obviously the thing that the four of us have in common is that we come from a multicultural background. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about your families and your family background and where that identity comes from? Um, so I'm 100% Filipino. Both of my parents are Filipino. Um, and what language do they speak? Um, Tagalog, mainly. My mom's really good at English, though. My dad's like working on it. My dad was born and raised in New York City, and he's African-American. And then my mom ran away from Norway when she was 17 and came to the United States. Yeah, and then we speak Norwegian and Swedish and English in the household. Um, my parents were born in Cambodia. My mom is part Cambodian. My dad is part Vietnamese, but we're all Chinese. And we mainly identify as Dieju. Um And then they moved to... Vietnam during the Khmer Rouge and they stayed there for a long time before um, escaping to like Southeast Asia like Malaysia, Philippines and then immigrating to America. They mainly speak Mandarin and Diju with me but they can speak Mandarin, Diju, um, Cantonese, Vietnamese, Cambodian and my dad's pretty good at English and so my mom's pretty okay with it. So uh, what did you guys think? this monologue that you read? I thought it was really well written, of course, obviously. But um, I also, like, felt a dis... Like, I was a little bit, like, hesitant to fully like it. She seemed like she was dependent on language as, like, a way to, like, fully identify herself as Chinese. And I feel like culture is way beyond language. Like, food and, like, music and um, just, like, other traditions that I feel like language is just, like, one aspect of being fully, like fully realizing your identity, but it's really just not important when you, like, think of other things that could be in a culture. But I also could understand where she was coming from, because, like, um, my mom's from Norway, and, like, whenever I go to Norway, they just see me as this, like, black girl who 
like came from America when really like I'm a citizen there and I like speak the language fluently. So like I don't know. It like is frustrating in the sense where people like don't recognize you being that of what you are or like how you identify yourself. This spring I found out I was like part Vietnamese and Cambodian, but I've been speaking Mandarin and a dialect of Chinese Teochew for like my whole life. So like it I find it hard for me to relate to like other Vietnamese people or other Cambodian people, even though like my immigration story is pretty similar to them. How do you think that that plays into basically what Donna is talking about in her monologue for you? Yeah, um, it's definitely difficult for me to like um, open up to my parents because like um, English is my main, the main language I use, even though it wasn't my first language. Um, because I speak Mandarin with my dad and Diju with my mom, my vocabulary for them is um, for both languages is very different. Like some words I know in one language and some words I don't know in the other language. A lot of people ask like, why don't you speak Mandarin better? Or like, I remember one time I was talking to my one friend in Mandarin. I was struggling because I didn't know what I was about trying to say in English. Don't know what I was trying to say in Mandarin, but I was still trying to use Mandarin. And then another friend came and was like, you went to Chinese school, right? You should work on your Mandarin more. And I don't know, I felt really hurt by that. I don't know, I feel like with language, like a person's inability to speak their mother um, tongue is no one's business. How do you identify yourself? Um, for simplicity, I would say Chinese just because I don't want to get into my whole background. But um, mainly I identify as Dieju. I don't really identify as like a mainlander Chinese because like, my immigration story is so different from them. You said for simplicity because you don't want to have to get into it. Does that bother you sometimes? Yeah, because, like, most people, when they think of, like, Chinese, they think of, oh, they just speak Mandarin or Cantonese. Like, there are whole different dialects and languages spoken in China, and it's much more complicated and complex than just Mandarin and Cantonese. When you first see a person, like, the first thing you see is, like, what they're wearing, their skin tone, their eye color, their hair. Like, it's just a way to identify someone. But then I also think that's really, like, restrictive because you're just putting someone in a box. Especially, like, when I was growing up, I was, like, very upset to have black features and not look like my mom who has, like, blonde hair, blue eyes, and not fitting this, like, European standard of beauty. I don't think I was an... I was ever, like, not proud of being black, but I think being proud of being black in Norway is a completely different thing. There's like a parade the 17th of May and it's a a festival for like our freedom and there's like a traditional dress and I remember my mom gave me her great-grandmother's dress and I put it on and I started crying because like I felt like I didn't belong in that dress. It was like a really shitty moment. Sorry I don't know if we're allowed to curse. Yeah you can curse. (laughs) Yeah. I still have pictures from that day. I felt so uncomfortable. How old were you? I was 16. So, yeah. And I know it was, like, a really big deal to my mom because, like, she never let me put that dress on before. And so, like, finally I was coming into my Norwegian self and I didn't feel right. And even now I still, like, grapple with that. But I think that I'm, like, slowly coming into myself and, like, understanding, like, you look like this because you're, like, a perfect mixture of your parents. Yeah. 
I think it's like also a long process. It's like a lifelong journey where you have to like, I don't know, my thoughts about my race and identity as a child has like drastically changed up until this point. I'm just waiting for it to evolve a little more. I feel like some people don't understand the extra struggle that people with like multicultural backgrounds face on a daily basis. I don't know if it's just like specific to Filipino culture, but I feel like for every second gener- generation immigrant who like has parents coming from a different like who are coming to America and they like brought you to America that they have this expectation for you to succeed well to make that their sac- like so that their sacrifice isn't in vain. And so I feel like I've been talking to like a lot of second gen immigrants and like asking them like what do their parents expect of them and their parents expected like a lot of them just so that, like, like doctor, like, so that they'd be a doctor, like, a nurse. I know that my mom was like, why don't you just go in the medical field? And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I also feel like there's, like, some type of guilt that happens when you, like, have these thoughts, because, like, they did sacrifice a lot. Like, my dad sacrificed so much for him to get here, and my mom did as well, and they were separated for a really long time because, like, immigration laws were, like, different back then where you couldn't petition your spouse until, like, a couple months later. And so, like... I feel like if I didn't pursue something that my parents wanted me to pursue or something successful, like, all their efforts would just be in vain and that guilt, like, overcomes me, like, almost on a daily basis whenever I'm at school, which is, like, really, really hard, I feel. How do you deal with that? Um, I just study. There's, like, nothing I can do, and I feel like it'll be, like, worth it in the end, but it kind of does get me, like, a little upset that I can't pursue something I really genuinely love. Do you have any advice for a young person who might be dealing with the things that you've already sort of processed or, I mean, are processing now as as slightly older adults? Write it out. Yeah, like writing down your thoughts about, like, how you feel about yourself and how the world sees you and, like, put that book down for a few days and then come back to it and see if you still feel the same way. So I'm pretty sure you won't. I feel like definitely talk with people, other people of color about it, um, attend more events that like, I know that I attended like a lot of Filipino events and like I was like, I'm in love with this, um, and like I fell back in love with my culture. Yeah, I agree with Faith, um, definitely surround yourself with people you're comfortable with, you connect to, and take initiative and like find these groups that support you, like with your, if you're trying to learn a language okay to make mistakes like you you still try it's better not trying at all as we were trying to figure out the final component of this episode philadelphia announced its newest poet laureate raquel salas rivera they raquel is non-binary write their poetry in both spanish and english often exploring themes of identity language and the migrant experience in the united states so we knew we had to talk with them. We met Raquel in their house in South Philadelphia. Raquel fixed Mitchell and me some Puerto Rican coffee and introduced us to their cat, who you might also hear in the background. Raquel began our conversation with their reaction to Donna's monologue. My first reaction was to really listen. I also recognized um, a lot in the monologue that was familiar to me in my own experience and in experiences I had heard before from others. And I also had moments where I kind of found myself arguing with the monologue internally, which I think is actually really important 
Raquel's parents moved from Puerto Rico to the United States when Raquel was six months old. For the first 14 years, they moved from city to city all across the United States. Y'all ready for this? Okay. From my West Puerto Rico to Wisconsin, California. Then they moved to Davis, California, Omaha, Nebraska, to school in Alabama, Houston, Texas, then back to school in Alabama. And then when I was 14, I moved to Puerto Rico. So I spent about 11 years of my life in Puerto Rico, which were very formative years. But my early life, I actually spent all over the U.S. So I was bilingual since I was a kid, like fully bilingual. Um, I think actually, maybe I learned English a little later than Spanish, but like by a year difference, not a large difference. Um, my parents, because they were both linguists, really wanted me to speak Spanish as well and have no sorts of moralisms around like what language you should or shouldn't speak. They don't believe in that. They believe that you speak the language that you speak. That's neither right nor wrong. I don't think it's like Donna's responsibility to bear her entire cultural legacy. And I also don't think it's like the fault of people who move here that they like have this complicated and like heavy like relationship with language and like inheritance and notions of inheritance. There's a lot of hurt and anger that has to be acknowledged and talked through. I think that one of the most difficult challenges right now that, and this is a generalization, but I'm gonna like give it a shot. Um, one of the largest challenges that immigrant communities face right now is to breach that sort of language divide without, and lang by language I don't just mean like literally language, but also like experience, <laughs> that language divide. Um, without reopening all of the wounds that we all carry. Um, and I think that it's okay for us to feel wounded. Uh, I, I understand both reactions. I understand the reaction of a person who has moved, moved here, who feels against all odds and all the pressures of assimilation that they have to suddenly forget where they came from and sees in their children or in a younger generation um, the responsibility of preserving something they think they're losing. And I also understand that to preserve something against those odds um, is really difficult in a world where the entire school system, the state apparatus, everything is built in English. Talk to me more about just um, the themes that you use in your work. I think a lot about language. I think a lot about language as material. I think a lot about language as being bound up in experience. I don't think of language as something secondary or coincidental or casual. I think that language is fundamental to the ways in which we navigate the world. It is one of the main ways in which we navigate the world, not understanding some things is actually part of our everyday experience and especially for people who migrate not understanding is most of what you're going to experience would you be willing to read something definitely all right mi amor 
¿Te aseguraste de cerrar los libros? ¿Y la cotorra verde voló ayer? ¿Con quién dejaste el poema? ¿Y el carro dónde está diluido? ¿Llegaste a tiempo al jardín de corales? ¿Tienes cambio suficiente? ¿Tienes suficiente cambio? ¿Por quién desumirás tu carne? ¿Dónde pasarás tu decepción? ¿Recibiste mis palabras? ¿Llamaste a tus lagartitos? ¿Entraron finalmente? ¿Las ventanas? ¿Las abriste por si llueve? ¿Recuerdas tu tía que murió asesinada? ¿Recuerdas tu tío que la murió asesino? ¿Vendrás a recitarle changos? ¿Tendrás tiempo para venirme? ¿Con quién dejarás las concesiones? ¿Me prestarás el cuarto, la cama, las balas, la soga? ¿Matarás el que me quemó la espalda? ¿Pedirás un injunction? ¿Llamarás a mi padre? ¿Te dirá que no? ¿Violarías la ley? ¿Tienes lámparas, pañuelos, alcohol? ¿Nos encontramos? ¿A qué hora? ¿Llorarás por las mujerotas asesinadas por no cumplir? ¿Llorarás por mis hermanas con dedos, longitudes, pelucas? ¿Llorarás conmigo por Puerto Rico, por la deuda, por nunca pagarla? ¿Pagarás mis deudas con las tuyas, mi amor, mi amor blanca, mi amada? ¿Te irás conmigo a mi único hogar a nunca pagar? ¿Me amarás entera, invisible, boricua? ¿Leerás mis libros, mi capital del cuento, mis historietas sin peso, flotas de flores de magazín? ¿Aprenderás mi idioma? ¿Te sentirás fuera de lugar? ¿Aprenderás el desdominio? ¿Comerás conmigo? ¿Beberás jugo de parcha? ¿Pisarás erizos? ¿Pisarás jardines de corales rojos? ¿Velarás los libros para que no se caigan? ¿Perderás conmigo la luminiscencia de la bahía? ¿Te quedarás en San Juan cuando el gran éxodo nos ofrezca el otoño? ¿Darías por mí lo que he dado por ti? ¿Tendrás tiempo esta noche para colgar chiringas en las cortinas? ¿Para quedarte dormida sin el mar? ¿Me darás estas navidades un caracol de nieve? ¿Me darás las próximas un caracol de mar? My love, did you make sure to close the books? Yesterday did the green parrot fly? With whom did you leave the poem? And the car, where is it diluted? Did you arrive on time at the coral garden? Do you have change enough? Do you have enough change? For whom did you disassume your flesh? Where will you spend your deception? Did you call your lizards? Did they finally come in the windows? Did you open them in case it rains? Remember your aunt who died, killed? Remember your uncle who died, killer? Will you come to the chango recital? Will you have time to come me? With whom will you leave the concessions? Will you lend me the room, the bed, the bullets, the rope? Will you kill the man who burned my back? Will you ask for an injunction? Will you call my father? Will he say no? Will you violate the law? Do you have lamps, handkerchiefs, alcohol? Should we meet up? What time? Will you cry for the uff women murdered for not passing? Will you cry for my sisters with fingers, longitudes, wigs? Will you cry with me for Puerto Rico, for the debt, for never paying? Will you pay my debts with yours, my love, my white love, my love? Will you go with me to my only home and never pay? Will you love me whole, invisible, Boricua? Will you read my books, my fib capital, my weightless little stories, my fleets of Flor de Magazine? Will you learn my language? Will you feel out of place? 
Will you learn dominance? Will you eat with me? Drink cua de bacha, step on erizos, step on gardens of red coral? Will you watch the books so they don't fall? Will you lose with me the luminescence of the bay? Will you stay in San Juan when the great exodus offers us autumn? Will you give for me what I've given for you? Will you have time tonight to hang kites from the curtains, to fall asleep without the ocean? Will you give me this Christmas a conch of snow? Will you give me next Christmas a conch of sea? So, what defines you? Send us a tweet at Mouthful Philly. Thanks to Donna, Faith, Rebecca, Nikita, and Raquel for all of the conversations. Special thanks to Melanie Wong and to the Asian Arts Initiative. I'm Trinina Ree. This is Mouthful. Thanks for listening. Mouthful is produced by Lisa Nelson Haynes, Trinae Naree, and Mitchell Bloom, that's me, for Philadelphia Young Playwrights. PYP is an arts education nonprofit that taps the potential of youth and inspires learning through playwriting. Mouthful is edited by yours truly. Original music for Mouthful was created by Ill Dutes. To join the Ill movement, head on over to illdutes.com. That's I L L D O O T S.com. For episode extras and more information, visit mouthfulpodcastphilly.com. That's mouthfulpodcastphilly.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Bonus points if you write a review. Mouthful is a production of Philadelphia Young Playwrights.